raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You're listening to The Wes and Walker Show. Are you telling me, after 15 years of unanswered prayers, we finally get our rim protector only for Dorian Finney-Smith and Danilo Gallinari. It's Wes. 52-year-old Danilo Gallinari. <laughs> to mess it all up. Let's go. Seven games? Seven games into the year, man. Are you telling me I actually miss Cody Zeller? And Walker. Forget a Hornets starter jacket. I need a straight jacket. I'm going crazy. I'm rocking back and forth in fetal position. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Longing for the days of Cody Zeller. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the FanDuel text line 704-570-9610, and check out our shenanigans on social media. Been a little slow this week, but we're going to get that thing cracking, all right? But you can check it out on WFNZ's Twitter and Instagram, at Bryan underscore 72, at Walker Mail, at HTB underscore Josh, and most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter, or X, whichever you prefer, hit that follow button right now while you're eating your Big Mac, your double Big Mac, your cheese sandwich, whatever you got going while you're sitting there listening to us, and we appreciate it as always. And now it is time to go to the Kona, a.k.a. the Campus Kona. Oh, we got college football music because we're leading off with a little college football, man. It's the offseason, but we got some breadcrumbs. The 12-team college football playoff will now include the five highest-ranked conference champions and seven at-large bids, the group's board of messengers confirmed on Tuesday. Set to debut the 2024 season, the new playoff format reflects the coming dissolution of the Pac-12, which will cease to exist as a Power 5 league at the end of this academic uh, year. Previously, the playoff was scheduled to feature six plus six format of six conference champions and six at large bids. The vote to revise the format was unanimous. The playoffs said, How happy are we about this uh, as we get this news about the playoffs? And do you think any team around here could benefit from those seven at large bids? Well, I can go back to when North Carolina, Fiddy, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I believe they finished 12th at the end of the season two years ago. I think that's right. Close to it? No. No, because remember they were nine and three. They weren't. I don't. Think, they were, or maybe it was a few years further than that. Because Coastal was thirteen. The point I yeah. was getting at was whenever Coastal was thirteen, it felt like okay, at least Coastal, after a great year, would be able to get into an expanded playoff field. But the worry about it is we'll just we'll just continue to knock Coastal Carolina even further to make sure that they don't get into the college football playoff. And so maybe that was it. Maybe Coastal was ahead of Carolina and they had it flipped. But the idea is that if they had an expanded field, it would be better for the playoff to include North Carolina and then just switch Coastal so that the Chanticleers couldn't get in because they're a mid-major school compared to a Power 5 still in North Carolina. 
I do wonder about that. But do I like this? You know, I've just come to accept it. I was somebody that didn't have a huge problem with the way that the college football playoff field already had gone about. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's really hard to figure out the right way to crown a champion. This year, we're talking about an undefeated Florida State team who I would like to have a shot to compete. But Florida State, as an undefeated champion, even if they were included, do we think that they would have won the championship? And if not, then do we start to look back and second-guess ourselves for including them in the first place? It's really hard to find that right way to say, okay, this is the way that you specifically crown a champion in college football, and so this is just a way to include more money. We all know that that's what's driven here by this process to expand the field, to include more teams, and so it'll be more fun for me, more college football, that's going to be the great thing for college football fans, but ultimately, I did like the old way better. Yeah, under the new format, the playoff will grant first-round buys to the four highest-ranked conference champions, while the teams ranked 5 through 12 will meet at the home venue of the higher-ranked teams. From there, the quarterfinals and semifinals will be played in the New Year's Six Bowl slate, and the national championship will be held at a neutral site. And I just wanted to throw this in. This was something I wanted to bring up, because you talk about teams making the playoffs. The once mighty Florida Gators, where I went before I went to Wake Forest. Have you seen their schedule? I have not. It might be the hardest schedule in the history of college football. I just want to tell you this schedule, and I meant to share with you guys. They start the season versus Miami. Then they play Sanford, the only real win on the schedule. Then they have Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Central Florida, right? All right, pretty decent game. You might be able to get one or two out of there with where Florida is. Then they follow that with Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and Florida State. If I'm Billy Napier, I'm pulling up in the AD's office, and we scrap it, okay? Because you're not giving me any chance to succeed. You're not getting an at-large bid or any bid. I said if they win six games, they should build that man a, a statue with that schedule. The problem is oh my how God. much could you change it if you're the athletic director? Woo! What would you do? Because so much of scheduling in college athletics, especially college football, is creating games that are like seven years in the future. So <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much of that has hurt them with this year's schedule. But also, you got to face a lot of SEC schools. And Wes, all of, when you really started to hammer home your point, they're all SEC opponents. Yeah. So how in the world do you go against it? Napier can complain all he wants to, but this is the job you sign up for when you coach in the SEC and you see all of the love that those teams get, deservedly so, because they get a lot of the talent. Dog, with, the, with that kind of schedule, you can't even practice. You not, you might not have enough guys to be able to practice by the end of the year. You're talking about taking a pound of flesh each and every week. But much to the happiness, moving over to college basketball, much to the happiness of one Josh Fitty, a.k.a. J.D. Marlowe, the Virginia Cavaliers, who on the heels of the North Carolina Tar Heels, no pun intended, but some pun, I get it. Yeah, I felt like you set that up. That's okay. Smashed by Virginia Tech, 75 to 41, a a couple of days after Mondique's lost to them on a last-second attempt at the buzzer, did not go. They absolutely trounced Virginia. And the ACC, if anything, this year is just completely unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen from week to week. You go into last night's game thinking a routine game for Virginia. They get the job done. It is a rivalry game. I get it 100%. And I know Kyle Bush would tell me, not Kyle Bush, Kyle Bailey would tell me as such with his Hokies. But they shot 51% from the field, 35% from three, held Virginia to a very paltry, 17% from three and 33% from the field. What do we think about this outcome last night and just the ACC's unpredictability 
thus far this season. I'm going to shed light on a stat I don't think I've seen before either. You went strong saying you feel like you've seen the strongest football schedule of your lifetime with Florida's upcoming football schedule. I don't know if I've ever seen a leading scorer for a basketball team have nine points like Isaac McNeely did last night for the Virginia Cavaliers. (laughs) Not in power five, not even when they put up 41, which isn't a lot, but I would have expected somebody to score a little bit more. Nobody got in double digits for Virginia. As I look at stat broadcast, they do have Isaac McNeely down for 11 points on four of eight shooters. I got three of seven. Is that on ESPN? It is on ESPN. Yeah, sometimes ESPN, they sometimes there's discrepancies between the stat websites. Either way, nobody did diddly squat. 11 is a lot different than nine, <laughs> though, so it's a great stat correction. Either way, Virginia getting destroyed this way. It just goes to show you exactly what you were talking about, how unpredictable this ACC season is. But also, like, we've seen Virginia get destroyed a few times this year. We thought they might have gotten over it at this point. Yeah. But remember, at the beginning of the season, most people were out on Virginia because when they lost, they lost by 30. They lost by over 20 points every single time that they recorded an L, and then it just took a while. So the most recent loss they had, it was against Pitt. Even that was by double digits. This is what you've come to know from Virginia, at least in 2023-2024. If they lose, it's going to be by double digits. And, man, it will be some ugly losses that they post, especially more so on the road. And that's what happened against Virginia Tech. Sometimes that team just doesn't show up whatsoever if it's not being played in Charlottesville. Fiddy, what did you think about last night's matchup and Virginia just getting annihilated, except for the fact that I'm sure you were excited to knock them down uh, one more game from chasing your Tar Heels. More conflicted than anything, just because, like, if this would have happened on Saturday, they had a chance to flush it out of their system, would have much more enjoyed it because you would have been in the tournament, West with your Demon Deacons. But this happens now, the game before Carolina comes uh, to town. Yeah. First place is still on the line. They know that if they get the win, they'll have the tiebreaker over Carolina when it comes to the regular season and the ACC tournament. For me, I look at it and say, if this Carolina team is what I think this Carolina team is, they should be able to go into an arena they haven't won at in over a decade and win. Because if Virginia Tech can beat them by 30-plus points on their home court, after we just dispatched Virginia Tech by 15 on our home court, we should be able to go in there and overcome the horrors of John Paul Jones Arena. I think North Carolina's defense is good enough to win this game. I know I've been more so worried about North Carolina's offense, but they went for over 90 in their last performance. I just think their defense is going to be good enough to hold Virginia to a respectable uh, outcome because they're not great offensively. If not, like if they give up, I don't know, over 70 to Virginia, then their defense is in a real bad way at this point. Problem. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, I'm hitting panic, but we give it more than <laughs> 70. Like Carolina can win that game and the game be played in the low fifties, maybe mid sixties. All right. Well, we got a couple of games of interest tonight in the ACC. We'll start it out. Syracuse taking on NC state state looking for answers. Uh, well, they did get a big win on the road against Clemson though, but they're still looking for answers as to how to get their season back on track. Do we think that Syracuse, comes in there and gives NC State 
uh, not necessarily a death blow, but a big blow to their season and their postseason hopes tonight. I don't know if I'm just overcorrecting what I used to think about Syracuse after watching what they did to North Carolina. That might be the case, but when you have as talented of a backcourt that they have in Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling, then I'm going to give those guys the benefit of the doubt. And so that's the reason I think that I would roll with Syracuse. Plus, when we're talking about unpredictability for the ACC, like the NC State might be the poster team for that. They're certainly up there for that. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Syracuse here. I do think that Syracuse um, is going to be the team that comes out on top in this one. Pretty, do you think NC State uh, bites it, or do you think Syracuse gets it done? No, I, I feel like State wins. The game The game is at home, and we've seen how bad Syracuse has been away from the JMA wireless dome. So, and, and like, look, if, 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 if State loses this game after beating Clemson on Saturday, Keats, pack your ish. It's, 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 it's done. Like you, this is what they do, though. But right? I know, but yeah. like this would be it, like nail in the coffin. Because like they win this game, depending on the result of the Wake Pit game, State maybe still feels they got an outside chance. But you, but if you lose, you're done. All right. Also, too, you talk about unpredictability. We've got Pittsburgh that is white hot right now, looking to get into the tournament. They've won seven out of eight, and tonight at nine o'clock in Winston Salem. They will take on my Demon Deacons, who are undefeated at home. Uh, you know, I'm going to go par for the course here. I think Wake at home, they've been very, very good. They lost a heartbreaking uh, basketball game to Virginia. I think they get the job done against a pit team. It's going to be dangerous, and this is going to be a fun one, folks, because you talk about Blake Henson. We've talked about him a little bit, a.k.a. Blake Hemson. He's coming off of a 41-point game against Louisville. I can't remember the last 40-point game that we've had in the ACC going up against Hunter Salas and the Demon Deacons. So this should be a fun basketball game. But give me the Deeks to continue the magic at home. What say you? I'm going to go Wake Forest as well. But as we talked about it. It's going to be a dogfight, I think. The last couple of weeks, we said, okay, the Demon Deacons still have a few opportunities to get right. They lost to Duke on the road. They lost to Virginia on the road. If they lose to Pittsburgh and then lose three straight, you have another game against Duke at home. That'll be a big deal. They're top 10 right now. But it's really hard to make up ground because the only other respectable opponent via what they've done in conference so far is really Clemson. Virginia Tech starting to play better, and as we've seen with that big win against Virginia, but I still don't think that's a tournament team. So now it's Duke and it's Clemson. If you lose against Pittsburgh, I think the damage probably is too far done unless you have a big old run in the ACC tournament. Fiddy, what do you think about the game tonight in Winston-Salem at 9 o'clock? Late game. Yeah, someone's facing elimination tonight outside of winning the ACC tournament, and I don't think either team is capable of doing that. So, Forbes, buddy, my guy, go ahead, get the job done, beat Pittsburgh, because your next four out, if you lose, you move to where – or your first four out, if you lose, you move to where Pittsburgh is, which is next four out. And it's really hard to find a way to get the Deeks in the tournament. And I want to see my guy Wes go dancing in March, baby. Well, I appreciate that, man. I, You know, I still don't wish anything but the worst uh, for your Tar Heels, but I appreciate it. Go scratch yourself. <laughs> All right, well, when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, Panthers position preview time yet again. Cornerbacks is the name of the game this time on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. 
for joining us on Wes and Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Just about 25 minutes. We'll welcome Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. He's going to talk about Charlotte Hornets season tickets prices going up. Now, just to be clear, that's going to be next year when renovations take place, when you start to work on that, plus when you start to have new ownership take over really officially for one full season's worth of time and then onward from there. Plus, these ticket prices are also going to include, I believe, club membership, and we'll get some of the details there from Eric Spanberg. Also, we'll talk with Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com, NBA Insider. He's coming up at 2.20 to discuss how in the world we can even attempt to fix and uh, fix NBA All-Star Weekend, or at least try to see what kind of ideas that he has. He has an article up on ESPN.com. You can go check out. And we'll also talk about post-All-Star break for the Charlotte Hornets. What's a trend? What's real? What's fake? What's a mirage? We'll try to figure all that out, too, with Tim Bontemps as we talk a little bit later on in the show. And, of course, you can catch all of our best content on our website, WFNZ.com. Just click the Wes and Walker podcast tab. We've been putting up the Carolina Panthers position previews up there. And today we'll upload our cornerbacks segment, past, present, future, talking cornerbacks here, Wes. I think this is one of the more interesting position groups that we'll look at before we get to the regular season. Even if we bring this back right before the season, after free agency is done, after the draft is over and done with, we can reevaluate this and see just how much they changed. If we go evaluate the past, I think this is a position most people will point to and say, maybe outside of quarterback, they'll point to that position and say, that's where it went the most wrong for the Panthers. Because if you look at J.C. Horn, I like J.C. Horn a lot as a player. And I think most people do. But the guy's hurt constantly. And so when you draft him, number eight overall, the first defensive player off of the board when he was selected, Patrick Sertan, who has been a better cornerback in the league to this point, more healthy, but also a better corner. He was the pick right after J.C. Horn. And J.C. is a guy you also took instead of a potential quarterback. Like, maybe you like that better, considering hindsight. Maybe you like that better than taking a chance on Justin Fields, who just might get traded. Might go to Pittsburgh, might go to the Falcons as the Chicago Bears are selecting a new quarterback with that number one overall pick. But Justin Fields would still be maybe intriguing enough to where you wish you would have done that. Either way, you have the J.C. Horn pick where I don't think you missed on talent evaluation. It's just not gone well for you in way of health. Dante Jackson, as much as I think he is a good enough number two corner in this league, you did decide to pay him. Instead of paying a Hassan Reddick, which I will not argue is the right choice, I wish they would have paid Hassan Reddick. Remember, they also got rid of Stephon Gilmore after trading a sixth-round pick for him, getting him from New England. Gilmore is only here for one season. Remember, they thought they were going to win a lot. They invested a lot in cornerback. And then Stephon Gilmore is gone after that season went terribly wrong. And the last one, of course, we can go back to here, Wes, is the C.J. Henderson trade, which was terrible. They traded a third-round pick and Dan Arnold in exchange for C.J. Henderson, a former top 10 pick who like had some moments in Jacksonville but never really worked out after just one season's worth of work, and he's never, never been somebody that you can rely on here in Carolina. Wes, it feels like the cornerback position, you can look at that position and say, man, Scott Fitterer, he tried to make it right there, but in the end, it just didn't work out how we all hoped it would. No, it didn't, and I think that this is a position, too, that 
uh, you know, needs a little bit of revamping uh, on this defense. And it's going to be interesting, the, de- the decisions that need to be made uh, on this. Are you going to give J.C. Horn that fifth year uh, on that rookie deal? Are you going to bring him back and see if he can finally stay healthy for the duration of the season before you decide to make a commitment to him? Because you have two corners, neither one of which can stay healthy, one of which uh, is a really good cover corner when he is healthy, but the other, to me, you know, he's average at best. And so, in my opinion, you need to address that other corner spot and then maybe some depth pieces as well. I know Troy Hill uh, coming up as a guy that definitely showed some flashes at the end of the season, not saying that he could be a starter, but this is a guy that could be your third corner uh, and be a guy that could be effective because he did pop up and make plays uh, here and there as the season marched on. But I think Dante Jackson, uh, and you saw the article about the uh, athletic that was talking about some potential cuts for the Panthers, and they had Dante Jackson there saying that the Panthers could save themselves $5.9 million, uh, by cutting him because the Panthers have solid cap space but not overwhelming cap space where they could just go out and be big ballers. You know what I'm saying? When you go to the mall and you got that check and no bills pending and you could just go in there and just give me that, give me that, give me that, and you're at the food court eating, chilling with six bags laying by your feet, you know, when you're doing that type of balling. <laughs> so, oh, the, the, the food court, it's it's tough to lay off. As soon as you walk in, it smells amazing, especially saying, yeah. any any Japanese food spot at the food court yeah. is where I'm going to go first and foremost. Yeah. And then if the line is too long, I'll, I'll make it work from there. But the Japanese restaurant at the food court is where I'm going for Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And then you got all the bags laying by your feet while you're eating good at the mall. That's when you know you're doing all right. But uh, Dante Jackson didn't get an interception uh, this year. Five pass breakups. And like I said, this is a guy that's hurt often. And I think he could be a guy that could end up getting cut uh, as this offseason approaches. And when you look uh, at the free agency market, I mean, obviously, I don't think the Panthers are going to be able to play at the top because, for one, uh, I think you have to build that front seven up first before you decide to go spend a bunch of money on a cornerback because it's not going to do you any good to spend a bunch of money on a guy out there uh, at the corner spot and you don't have enough pass rush or not getting home enough. Now, this is a good defense from a yardage standpoint, and there could be some uh, bargain guys when you start to get uh, down the list, whether you talk about a guy like a Kenny Moore from the Colts or uh, a Wuzie from the Bengals or Dory Jackson or some of those type of players that maybe uh, you could go and find uh, at some bargain prices to give you a fresh look out there. But I think the cornerback position is definitely one that needs to be addressed, but it's not as high up on the priority list as some of the others. Yeah, we've had our debates about cornerback, and at first I'd, I'll understand if they decide to cut Dante Jackson it doesn't make me feel great about what they'll have afterwards because if you have so many other things that you need to address, right? So if you cut Dante Jackson and you release him with a post June one designation, that would create 10 and a half million in cap space, but the Panthers would have to carry the dead money into 2025. We've known what the Carolina Panthers have done before. They're not afraid to operate in dead cap. They've done it quite a bit. Since Dave Gettleman, I'll remember the Matt Khalil contract forever. That dead cap, I think, is still hitting. It's very Nick Batumish for the Carolina Panthers. I don't think that's true, but it hit for a long time. Either way, with this Dante Jackson ability to save some money just by having him cut from the roster, then you could save some money that way. The problem is you get to a point where J.C. Horn is your best corner by far. That's true anyway, but if he goes down with an injury, which he's been way more injury-prone than what Dante Jackson has, then who do you rely on? You rely on a free agent that you go out and sign. But if you look at some of the best guys available at that spot, to me, it's going to be really tough to decide to allocate the kind of money 
to a corner that you trust. Like some of the guys that are in my price range, and maybe you have a different price range outlook, but I'm looking at, I don't know, like Shadobi Awuzie. Yeah. That's going to be at like $5 million a year, and he wasn't very good. In fact, he was graded lower than what Dante Jackson was. Now, maybe you're saving more money, depending on what kind of contract you would call for, but it, the further you go down, that's my point, right? The further you go down on this list, to me, you're finding a lot of corners that did what Dante did last year. Now, if you think that's a fluke, then maybe I could buy that and you just want to move on anyway. But you're getting to a lot of corners that did what Dante was doing for you last year. He is somebody that has been injured quite a bit before. But Dante last year was actually healthy, which was a nice change of pace. Something very different. And if you think that's an outlier, that might be true too. But once he was healthy, I don't think it's just a coincidence that the most healthy season he gave us was also the best that we've seen in the last three years. And so Carolina's going to have to decide if they want to try to save space in order to go after a different position, which makes sense. Like, I'll understand it. If you want to do that, that's cool. I wonder if the need to draft a cornerback goes up in the selection process just to try to save more money and then hit on some bargain that you could draft in the third or fourth round. Wes, we'll see some corners actually hit that way. I think teams might talk themselves out of some corners if they don't test well at the combine because you got to be so athletic, but also good enough technique might help you become a pretty effective corner. Tariq Woolen comes to mind with Seattle, later pick, great rookie season. Like you'll see some of those guys. And so that's what it cornerbacks hard to try to figure out because Troy Hill, you also have to try to figure out, oh man, was this the last season we're going to get good football from him because he's older, but he also understands Averro's scheme. We've worked together quite a few times allocating resources to other positions that you desperately need, sacrificing what was at least an average cornerback last year that also had to step up and be your number one corner because J.C. Horn was out. How do you navigate that if you allocate money towards other positions? That's going to be a tough answer for them. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the contract of J.C. Horn and you're looking at a $1.055 million base salary for next season, and so uh, that's the guy, so I stand corrected. His year wouldn't come up until 2025 where you decide if you want to give him uh, that fifth year or not under the rookie deal. And so you get another year to look at him to see if he is indeed that cornerback of the future that you envisioned him being. And, yeah, Walker, you know, you do have a point uh, about, you know, you get a guy that's either on the same level or lesser than Dante Jackson uh, but I think at this point, too, you know, we talk about just being available and he was healthier this year. But I'm just I'm just not sure. And I think that corner you talk about when the draft comes, the best player available debate could be a corner that comes in there for you uh, at that third or fourth selection that you have. That could be a guy that you feel like could come in and be one of those guys for you. It, it'll be interesting how they navigate this, because another interesting aspect will be to see if, uh, you know, is Jair Alexander going to be available? But I know that he would probably be way too expensive for the Panthers, even if you had to trade for him or if he ended up being a, a cut and then you had to try and sign him. He's going to command uh, a high salary. I was just thinking of the whole home aspect of things of that nature. But it's going to be uh, very intriguing to see what the Panthers do to try to free up more cap space, because I think with all of the needs that they have, that they're going to have to find some creative ways to find some more money if they want to address most of the things that they need in 2024. Now, that's also part of the problem of not hitting on cornerbacks in the draft or via trade is you don't have any depth and you don't have any starters that you can rely on because 
I mean, even with some of the guys that aren't very good, those guys have been banged up with injuries as well, that cornerback. It's really tough to try to figure out. Ultimately, if I had to decide right here, right now, do I think both starting corners are going to be back on this team? Wes, I'd probably say Dante Jackson does get cut. Mm-hmm. That would be my prediction. And I'm going to hope to God that they figure out who else is going to play outside of J.C. Horn because this is the problem for Carolina. Whoever you want to play second corner might just be your first. It's happened way too often the last couple of years. J.C. Horn, you want to be your top cover guy. But whoever you sign as your second corner, you have to just go ahead and bake into it that he's going to be your top corner because of the way that J.C. Horn gets hurt, and that sets you back in a big old way. So are you willing to do that in order to try to spend more money on edge rushers, the offensive players? Yeah, I, that is that is one of the harder jobs that Dan Morgan has to figure out. Ultimately, though, Wes, I do think if I had to predict, I would tell you J.C. Horn will be back. He will be a starting corner for this team coming into the season, and Dante Jackson will be playing elsewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree with you because, like I said, I, I just think it's time. You know, Dante, he had a better season this year, but still not quite what you want uh, at the position. And so I think that maybe you can go out there and find a guy that could be a better scheme fit, could be uh, more durable, could be a guy that comes in and gives you more production. Uh, than what you got out of Dante Jackson. So the Panthers, as we've said, the grocery list is very long. Cornerback may not be at the top of it, but they definitely need to address that uh, this offseason because one thing you have to account for too, and we've seen weird deals in free agency where teams go and sign a guy and give them a bunch of money in a position that's not necessarily of need because if you're the Panthers, do you decide to say, hey, we may spend a little bit uh, you know, on a guy because we don't know if our number one corner is going to be available. We don't trust that he will be. If you cut Dante Jackson, do you sign a guy that could give you a little bit of both? A guy that's a rock solid number two, but there's also a borderline one in case J.C. Horn does go down. Because just for example, you talk about a woozy out of uh, Cincinnati and, you know, his coverage grade with no pressure was an 80.2 this past season. And so this is a guy, you know, you get a little requisite pass rush going you know, he could be very, very good. Now, they talked about how he provided his services for Cincinnati at a rate of 7.25. You know he's going to be looking for more than that. But if you're the Panthers and you want to think outside the box a little bit, are you signing a guy that could be your insurance in case you decide to move off of J.C. Horn after this season? And you say, this is going to be our guy. And if J.C. stays healthy, we'll see what happens when we get there. So you're asking, I'm sorry, what's your question? No, I'm just saying that, just throwing an idea out there that the Panthers could decide to say, hey, maybe we might spend a little bit on a guy because we're not sure if J.C. Horn, especially if they cut right. Dante Jackson and they say, hey, we, we're we not sure that J.C. Horn is going to be available for us all the time. So we need a guy that we can depend on once J.C. goes down. Yeah. Then maybe you bring back a Troy Hill, have him as your two as, uh, you know, in the event that Horn suffers another injury, which we don't want to see that. But say, let's just say you go sign in a Woozier, and now you come out with him and Horn. Horn goes down for a few games. You got a Woozier and Troy Hill or some type of combination like that. Depending on how much money you want to to spend, right? Because like a Woozier is predicted at about $5 million, So maybe you have $5 million a year. So I don't know, you know, wherever that neighborhood is. If he is your number one corner, then that's or if it, at at some point, then yeah, maybe he would make sense. Like for me, I'm not spending a ton of money 
on Legereus Sneed, on Jalen yeah, Johnson, or anything like that, or even a Jair Alexander, whoever may be out there. Because for me also, if you look at cornerback, I feel like that position's just a little too hot right now for Panthers fans. If Dan Morgan comes in and wants to separate himself from all of the decision-making that Scott Fitterer was a part of when he was at the helm, and Scott Fitterer was out here trying to chase all of these cornerbacks, and then one of Dan Morgan's first moves is paying top dollar for a nice enough corner, but you already have J.C. Horn, and that comes at the expense of dropping somebody else that you could really use at a different position, that just doesn't seem like the right kind of business for me. So the Dante, J.C. Horn thing, that's what he's going to have to figure out. Last thing for me, though, Wes, when we have had this debate before, I am not one, like, I understand Panthers fans, most of them, I think, are ready to move on from Dante. Like, it's a little polarizing, probably like 60-40, 65-35, people are ready to move on from Dante. You also talked about maybe wanting to move on from JC. Is that something you still feel? Like, you're yeah, if move? he can't stay healthy. But, but, but like, you would make that decision this offseason? No, not of him coming back at that. Still okay. under that rookie salary. I'd give him another year to prove that he can sure. be durable. And then if if you get an injury where he's out for an extended period of time, then I think, yeah, you have to seriously think about moving on. I like DJ Skinner writing in. That much money makes me a little woozy, eh? <laughs> I was trying to hunt down his market value, I'm but you can't find it. Well, no, it's to- it's like $5.5 according to Pro Football Focus, is the projected contract for Chidobia Woozie. Five and a half a year. You're looking at like a two-year, ten million, whatever, and that's going to go up or down. But also, his coverage grade was worse than Dante's. Like the thing that brings it down a little bit more is coverage, just based off of what you've seen. Like that—that's where I am. But if you want to move off of Dante because the price will be a little bit more what you picture for a player like that, then that makes sense to me. The Dante thing could go either way. Let's move on, and uh, we will continue to talk about the Carolina Panthers on the other side of the break. I believe Eric Spanberg now changing to 2 o'clock, I believe, because something came up. And so the live wire, maybe we just do an impromptu live wire on the other side of the break. I don't know if that makes Fitty happy or sad, but we're going to find out all together on Wesson Walker Sports Radio, (laughs) 92.7 WFNZ. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. It's the live wire coming in out of the break. We're adapting. We're evolving here on Weston Walker. Eric Spanberg going to be on with us instead at 2 o'clock. And so we move up the live wire just a little bit. Go ahead, Fiddy. What you got for us to lead off the live wire with Fiddy, JD, whoever you are today? All right. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Mike Evans maybe ending up in Carolina. And that's continuing to gain steam from the national platform people. Sam Monson from the 33rd team. Says he likes the fit of the former Bucks or the current Bucks wide receiver following his head coach here to Carolina. He definitely wants to go back to Tampa Bay, which obviously gives them a leg up in any negotiations. But there's a lot of wide receiver needy teams in the NFL and some guys I think that would be willing to throw some significant money in the direction of Mike Evans that would make that a very difficult decision, even given his age, particularly if, you know, T. Higgins or Michael Pittman or both get, get franchise tagged and get taken off the market and all of a sudden 
the receiver group looks a little worse than it did on paper heading into free agency. I mentioned Carolina. I'm going to mention them for every single wide receiver that's available. They would make a ton of sense. Mike Evans is still a legit number one. I sent Wes a DM on Instagram from Matt Bowen having Mike Evans landing in Carolina. Walker, it feels like this is just gaining steam and momentum that by the time we get to free agency in a few weeks, Panther fans should be confident that they'll have a new number one wide receiver for Bryce Young. I'm sorry. I'm a little hurt that I wasn't a part of this direct message. You were the only one that got the Mike Evans article? I didn't know. Get on Instagram. Fitty didn't send me anything. Well, he is on Instagram. He just doesn't use it. I know. I was look. I looked at your profile the other day. Is it still sad? Still no picture. Yeah, man. It's because I don't get DMs. If I got a DM, <laughs> then maybe I'd add a picture because people found me worthwhile to follow the Instagram profile. Sam really summed up his entire take with one sentence. I'm going to bring, bring up Carolina <laughs> with any receiver that we talk about because they are so wide receiver needy that Mike Evans, T. Higgins, D.K. Metcalf, Brandon Ayuk, Calvin Ridley, any guy that can conceivably play that number one spot, Carolina should consider. It's all about how much they want to pay for it and have more left over to then go fix the offensive line because those are two by far and away the most needy, uh, the most help they need at each of those positions with Carolina to help out Bryce Young. Mike Evans makes all the sense in the world, especially with him having familiarity with this coaching staff. I mean, yeah, he makes a ton of sense. We've seen what he said about Canales. We know that he would love to continue to play on in the Dave Canales system, and I think that he would trust Bryce Young enough to make sure that he's still going to get the production that he's always had uh, coming to Carolina. He would automatically be the number one receiver. There's no question about that. And so, yeah, it does make a ton of sense. And so it's just going to come down to if he feels like the Tampa Bay has a real shot at making some noise next year. We know Baker Mayfield. He seems like the type of guy to me that can be very convincing. And so I think he's going to work on him as much as he can and talk about the magic that they can make together. But if Carolina and if that should not work out for him in Tampa Bay, Carolina would be a place that he could come to and eat, as they say, and get a nice bag on top of that. Any worry in the same regard as Wolfpack James text on the text line? I have no interest in Mike Evans. The timelines don't match up. Any worry there with the timelines with him being older? No. Uh, Mike Evans still oh, yeah. shows you the way that he plays the game that he's still got another two to three no, hell no. of playing high-level football in him. You give him a four-year deal, put a void on the end of it, and call it a day, man. But no question about it. Uh, Mike Evans, I don't see any problem with age. I, you know, guys always get caught up with that, and he's too old, too this, too that. He's still balling. That's the only thing I know about Mike Evans. That's the only thing that I still know about him is that he's still balling. I, I propose we start temporarily blocking people for stupid text messages. Wow, Wolfpack James catching it like that. Huh? Well, I mean, just imagine being an being that arrogant of a Panther fan that you don't want a nine-time Pro Bowler, a perennial 1,000-yard receiver for a that part too. for a quarterback that needs that. Like your best guy is Adam Thielen. Like Adam's a great guy. But he's, what, 34, 35 years old? Like, it, it, I mean, it's going to slow down at some point. And all of that production led to two wins. I've been a huge contributor in this department, but I still have to ask the question. Has anybody received more backhanded compliments in their life than what Adam Thielen has gone through this year? Because I am totally in that camp. Yeah. But anytime we Me. bring up Adam Thielen, it's he is a great dude. He's a really good wide receiver. But... 
And then his age. He shouldn't be your number one receiver. He's not a deep threat. Poor Adam, man. That's your guy, Wes. I know, man. You guys act like getting 100 (laughs) catches in the NFL is as easy as breathing, you know? (laughs) Just every time. It's always that type of analysis. And, uh, I mean, I parrot exactly what Fitty said a million times this entire year. I just feel bad for Adam. I apologize, man. Hopefully you can be number two, number three, and we can just speak about you glowingly without all the caveats. Moving on to some college basketball sound from Rick Pitino. Oh, no. Who is never afraid to speak his mind. And did he do that and then some after his team blew a 19-point lead at home to Seton Hall on Sunday night? He got personal with the squad with the media. I think they're unathletic. I don't think they move well laterally. Mm. I think they're going to pick it up in the next week. Uh, I think they're slow laterally. I mean, Sean Conway gives you everything he can. He's slow laterally. About five guys are slow laterally. Even even the Celtics, when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. Do you have any second thoughts of taking this job? No, not at all. It's not St. John's. It's my team. I think they're very respectful. They hear, but they don't listen. It's taken me a month to get them to throw bounce passes. Actually, two months to throw bounce passes. Just thinking of getting ready for Georgetown, because Georgetown could definitely beat us. I'm not even thinking of the future at all. I'm just thinking of the next game, and the next game, and the next game, and that's it. uh, Just try to get as many wins as you possibly can. And represent St. John's in the best fashion you can. Walker, I contacted that UNC Wilmington coach that recruited you a little over a decade ago. He said you couldn't play Division One basketball because you were slow laterally. Wes, what do you make of Rick Pitino Damn. being public with his? I, I guess like he uh, he allowed his his true feelings and emotions out. Are you a fan? As a former college athlete, or would you rather him keep that behind closed doors? Uh, you know, I don't have much of a problem because I know for a coach like that, and we know some of his transgressions on the side, his personal life, we know about that. But with <laughs> Patino, for him to come out and say what he said, you know, at this point you feel like he's at his wit's end. He doesn't know any other way to get to his team. And if you've ever coached, you know how frustrating it can get to tell people to do the same thing over and over and over again and they don't do it or you lay out how a team's going to attack you and give a team all the answers to the test and then they come out and they just blow it and so I think for Patino I think he had just reached a point of no return where he felt like that he had tried to motivate his team in every other way that he could and now it's time to use the media Because I guarantee you they'll start to play better after what he said. I mean, well, this could go two ways. It could go really bad or it could go really good. But more times than not, when coaches call out the media, I mean, when coaches call out their players in the media, you get pretty decent results. So I I think it could turn out all right. I want to play for that guy. (laughs) You know how sometimes coaches will go to the podium and give you a speech and you want to run through a brick wall? Yeah. I ain't running through anything. You mentioned how coaches will call out their players sometimes. Yeah. Not like that and not individually and not at the college level. I think there are some different things when you discuss professionally. It was a big deal. It was on NBA Today when Steve Clifford said, we don't have a whole lot of talent on this team. He didn't call anybody out specifically. He didn't say, hey, we shouldn't be throwing out Nathan Mensa because he's not an NBA player. He didn't call out Miles Bridges for getting beat back door. He didn't call out P.J. Washington for not getting back in transition. He just said we're not talented enough. And that 
made the national platform. Rick Pitino is out here calling individual players, saying specifically why they are so terrible, and then because of the lack of talent, said it's the worst year that he's ever had in his life because of his players. It's the most unenjoyable time in his life. I think we went too far there. I think we went too far if you're Rick Pitino. I feel like he is in the small group of coaches that can do it and get away with it. Him, Bill Self, and John Calipari, maybe Tom Izzo. But those are the only current college basketball coaches where you can do it. And What do you mean get away with it, though? Well, I mean, like, like not get fired? Well, like, like he's been to seven Final Fours. He's won national championships. Like The track record speaks for itself. So you I probably still, look I, at it and be like, yep, that's Rick Pitino. And I still ask you, what do you mean? Because I, I know the track record. The guy has a ton of success. Do you mean get away with it in the sense that your players will still respond? Yes. Do you mean get away with it in the sense that he's not going to get fired? He do shouldn't you mean, be fired for what he said. Do you mean that's what I'm that's my point? Because if, I, like, I don't think he should be vilified for what he said. I'm not going to vilify him. I can question this guy's comments at the podium for calling these out. Like, Wes, just based off of what you've talked about before, you're not one to take any of that. Like, I know my Wes Bryant. Yeah. Doesn't feel like Wes Bryant would respond too well to those types of comments if he's telling me, Wes can't block anybody, can't whoop. What, the kick out is terrible. Wes Bryant, <laughs> I've been trying to tell him a correct kick out, kick slide as much as it possibly can, but it's taken him two months, and he can't move laterally. He can't block. We're going to lose to NC State because Wes Bryant can't block. I mean, you know, it would it would bother me. I wouldn't take well to it, but if I know it's true, though, I'm also a guy that I fancy myself to be self-aware. If I knew it was true, then it probably wouldn't be much of that I could say. I mean, I've been chewed out by coaches for different things, and I didn't give them any talk back because I knew but what they said. But in the public eye, it's different to yeah, me. Yeah, in the public eye, it's definitely different. It's just to me, I just feel like that he's done everything he could behind the scenes, and I think it, all his frustration just came out, man. I, I, I guess because true. I've been on both sides, and I know when you're coaching <laughs> people how much he can just get on your nerves, and I think it just came to a head and he just let it all out he said he said you guys are making my life miserable <laughs> he said you guys are so bad you're so unathletic that you're making my life miserable yeah. i enjoyed losing at a terrible rate in the nba more so than i am coaching this saint john's team it's got to be way terrible for mr rick patino maybe he's not even the coach anymore. i've never heard him say anything like that before no all right that'll do it for the live wire with jd marlowe coming up next we'll welcome eric spanberg of the charlotte business journal to talk about the raise in ticket prices for season ticket holders for the charlotte hornets also maybe the future of the pga here in charlotte weston walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.